from Nevada Public Radio. I'm Joe Shane, in the state of Nevada. This month, lower-income households in 32 states, including Nevada, will receive at least $95 a month less from the federal government to buy food. That money comes from SNAP, or the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. Last year, one in seven Nevada households received SNAP help. 30% of those were older adults. 62% were families with children. Now, what happened during the pandemic is that when people lost jobs, SNAP benefits were increased. But as of March 1st, that extra SNAP money disappeared. And because of that, payments to households with older adults will decline to about $76 a month. Households with children will fall to about $350 a month. The question is, with higher prices for uh, due to inflation, and because SNAP recipients have worked those extra dollars into their budgets, how will this impact families near the poverty line? Will it sink more people into poverty as the SNAP increases during the pandemic reportedly resulted in a 10% decline in poverty? If you're somebody in that boat, tell us what that extra $95 a month has meant for you or your family. Did you know this was coming? Joining us first is Regis Whaley. He's Director of Advocacy and Research for Three Square Food Bank. Regis, welcome to the program. Thanks, Joe. Yeah, before we begin, I want to disclose that Three Square has been a partner with Nevada Public Radio for many years now during pledge drives. People who make pledges to the station have been able to designate meals to Three Square, which has been funded by MGM Resorts International. So, Regis, inflation is obviously having a major impact on so many people. It's going to get worse, I think. Uh, I think it goes without saying, actually, with this reduction. Uh, talk about what this reduction could mean for a family, say, of four, or for families that come to Three Square for assistance. Yeah, so, Joe, when we look at what's happening right now with uh, the reduction in SNAP that's coming up, it's a, it's a big deal. We're talking about $40 million across the entire state that's just going to disappear. Uh, that's a lot of food purchasing power that people have had really since April 2020 uh, to be able to make sure that they were able to get enough food. And so to go uh, from having all of these extra benefits than to suddenly see your food budget slashed by, in some cases, up to 90% um, in terms of that amount that you're getting from SNAP. That's a huge adjustment to make. Um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think about my food budget right now, what it would mean to lose 90% of that. I have no idea what I would do to be able to try to make up for that loss. So, I mean, this is going to be a big period of adjustment, I think, for all of our families. I think it's also going to be a big period of adjustment for on, for on the retail side as well. Um, you know, this is $40 million per month that was also going into the retail sector. So there's also that ripple of impact that we're going to see there too. So um, it's going to be uh, it's quite a time of adjustment here. Um, I can tell you from some research and looking at uh, what happened in states that uh, ended their emergency allotments in 2022, uh, on average, the amount of uh, reported uh, food scarcity, the amount of uh, adults that reported uh, within the last week not having uh, enough food to eat, increased by 16% on average in those seven states that uh, ended their emergency allotments last year. So uh, we're expecting to see uh, some pretty significant impacts here. Have you seen any of it yet? I mean, it's still early in the month of March, but or are people talking about it yet? Or have they, they realized that that's what's coming? Uh, there's definitely some concern out there. Um, and so the, those last payments will be coming uh, on the 14th of this month. Oh, okay. So I think it'll be after that that we really start see. to see the impact. But I mean, folks are thinking about it for sure. Um, and actually, I think there's uh, some other folks here today that uh, might be able to talk a little bit more about some of the impacts that they might be seeing and how people are reacting. So you're planning for this, though. So what are some of the things you plan to do to, uh, you know, to keep aid coming or to assist those who are seeing this reduction? 
So in the state, uh, the Division of Welfare and Supportive Services is the one that oversees SNAP. And so uh, both uh, Three Square Food Bank, as well as our uh, sister food bank in the North, uh, Food Bank of Northern Nevada, we've been in talks with uh, the, the Division of Welfare and Supportive Services since uh, early January now. Um, it was about, uh, it was late December when these cuts were announced when they got passed through uh, the Consolidated um, Budget Act for 2023, funding the rest of the uh, federal budget for this year. And so uh, we started meeting in early January to talk about what these cuts would look like. And so um, we know those cuts are coming. Um, the state has done a lot of things to try to make sure that they uh, mitigate that impact as much as they could. Um, and we basically are telling folks right now that if you are losing access to those emergency allotments, uh, go to the food bank. That's what the food banks are here to do is to make sure that we provide the support that's necessary in the community to make sure that everybody has access to enough food. And we've got wonderful partners like those that are here today that are uh, helping to do that work. And, and when you, you talked about the seven states who had, you know, who had reductions, I wonder if you could talk about what you might know of the mental impact that it had on, on families that had this reduction occur to them. Um, yeah, I mean, I can speak really just from my own uh, personal experience, somebody who grew up here in Nevada, somebody who grew up experiencing food insecurity. Um, I, I don't know if it's possible to overstate the mental aspects of what it's like to experience food insecurity. Um, if you could imagine just even in our own lives, if you're not experiencing food insecurity, how much time you spend thinking about food, right? Like it's not uncommon. You, you can be in the middle of the day starting to think about, oh, what am I going to do for dinner? Am I going to go here? Am I going to go there? What do I make for my family? All these different thoughts that you have about food. And that's when things are good. Um, if you add on top of that the stress of what it's like to think about not only what you're going to eat, but how you're going to get that food. Do I have enough money for it? Um, it the mental strain just to think about how, it's, how you're going to take care of yourself with respect to uh, just food, you know, let alone all the other things that come along with food insecurity in terms of you know, things like housing insecurity, um, you're paying for your utility bills, all those things. There's a ton of mental strain that goes into um, just trying to figure out how to feed yourself when you're experiencing food insecurity. So um, it's going to be significant. Um, I also took a look at some uh, data from uh, the Census Bureau that they've been tracking over uh, the last uh, almost three years now, looking at the uh, relationship between households that reported food insecurity and a couple of measures uh, that the Census Bureau was also tracking with respect to anxiety and depression. And uh, what that data showed is that uh, households that experienced food insecurity were more likely to uh, screen positively for both anxiety and for depression. So, uh, I mean, there's some serious uh, mental health impacts when we're talking about food insecurity. Yeah. Do, do you think it's wrongheaded for the government to withdraw these funds that people have been getting for a couple of years? Um, I think uh, without being in government, I think just in general, it, it, that, that's a hard place to be in. I think uh, the government doesn't have unlimited resources, just like none of us here have unlimited resources. Mm -hmm. So I think um, it's it's a complicated dance to try to figure out how to um, ensure that everybody has access to enough food. Um, but I would say to our government that we know something serious is coming. We've seen it in other states already. It's about to happen here. Um, the government needs to step in and do anything that they can do to try to mitigate some of the issues that we're about to see with food insecurity. That's Regis Whaley. He's director of advocacy and research for Three Square Food Bank. And we're talking about the impact uh, of hunger on Southern Nevadans, especially uh, in light of the fact that federal SNAP payments for low-income families and those on fixed incomes are, are going to decrease. Uh, uh, I think he said as of mid-March uh, will be the last extra payments that were set in stone during the pandemic, but those are being eliminated. And joining us now is Brooke Neubauer, founder of the Just One Project. She started that project almost a decade ago when she began serving groceries to food insecure communities in Southern Nevada. Brooke, welcome to State of Nevada. Thank you so much. Uh, first of all, could you talk a little bit more about Just One Project? What, what does it do? 
So the Just One Project focuses on creating access to food and resources. Uh, we have several ways of getting food out into the community. We have a pop-up and give program, which is mobile food distributions. We have over 40 locations throughout the Southern Nevada every month. We also have um, a fleet of eight delivery vans that are serving homebound seniors and people of all ages that have difficulty um, with mobility getting to the store. So we bring them groceries and, and prepared meals. Um, we also have two no-cost community markets where people can come in and shop for free. Um, and uh, we have wraparound services with all of our programs. So I think that that is one of the best ways that we can help with the food insecurity issue is getting people in to find out why they're food insecure and how we can help them uh, hit their goals to where they can be self-sustainable. Can you talk about the need that you see and what you expect when there is this federal SNAP reduction? Sure. Um, the top three things that our clients uh, need assistance with are rental assistance, utility assistance, and child care. Um, and also there, there could be just the one smallest yet daunting task that somebody needs to, 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 you know, pass through something that they're going through. It could be as simple as needing a driver's license or a birth certificate so that they can apply for benefits or so they can, um, get access to healthcare. I mean, there's just so many things and, you know, when you have so much going against you and you don't even know like where to go. It's so important that you have a supportive person that kind of can, you know, hold your hand through the process. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of wondering, <laughs> uh, we have a lot of groups, a lot of, I mean, much more so than when I moved here 25 years, people who are working on behalf and nonprofits on behalf of other people here. And several here, uh, along with Professor Nicholas Barr, who do that right now in Three Square and Helping Hands of Vegas Valley, are are there still waiting people on the waiting list like that want your help? I mean, do you still see this really great need that you just can't get to? We we're just starting to um, be at the be at the place to where we need to have waiting lists for our Meals on Wheels, which is our senior home delivery. Um, but as far as waiting lists for our other programs, we do not have that. We're very, very fortunate. We've been able to keep up with the demand. Um, and I think that that is just a testament to how supportive the community is to organizations like the Just One Project. Um, we've never had to turn anyone away and we are so, so grateful. And um, we've always been lucky enough to take waiting lists from other organizations. So other organizations have had um, people on their waiting list and we all work together so well that we can call each other and, and share our needs, mm -hmm. share our solutions with each other. So we've always been in a really great place and we hope that that, you know, we're able to continue to support our other agencies. Can you, can you talk about uh, in a month's time or in a year's time, how many people you help? Uh, just last year alone, we served 243,000 people. And so we have, we have been averaging over 20,000 people per month. And so um, last month was our first time that we had served under 20,000 people. 
We are talking about food insecurity in Nevada, which the United Way says is the third most food insecure state in the country. It really kind of promises to get worse now that the federal government is going to reduce food assistance back to pre-pandemic levels. But not everybody thinks that way. And Jay from Las Vegas, welcome to the program. Hi there. Hold on. Let me take you off speaker. Just one second. Sure. That's okay. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. Yeah. Uh, it's a pl- pleasure to be on. You know, it's a great show you have today. The I was just thinking, you know, we don't have to strictly let the government, you know, figure out the answer to this. Uh, another idea that I hope people will think about today is the idea of the community rising up and trying to take care of itself. You know, like, like we support KNPR, right? Yeah. And so forth. You can volunteer for these programs. And um, like I've taken my kids down to Three Square. They've been down to the Just One Project as well, which is an amazing program, by the way. You, you have no idea the, the good they do and not many people hear about them. Another thing you can do really, though, is I've noticed from my own volunteer work, what they really need is, is money. Uh, people, if they're, you know, if they want to help, j- just consider donating. You know, if they can't donate the time, you know, donate a little money every month. It really, really goes a long way to um, both of these food banks. So yeah. that's my, my comment. Well, uh, Jay, it uh, sounds like your heart's in the right place. Really appreciate uh, your call and, and, and what you're doing for other people. Uh, Marsha Blake, uh, Helping Hands of Vegas Valley, welcome to the program. Thank you. We talked a little bit about this just before the program, uh, about, um, you know, some states are really doing a lot. And uh, actually, Texas is doing quite a bit for uh, the homeless situation there. The thought came up, though, that there's really a sense in, in, in some parts of Texas where people know their community. They know each other and they help each other. I, I wonder if you feel that same kind of... A sense of community among Las Vegas in Las Vegas. Thanks, Joe. I I think it's different when, depending on where you live. Um, I think there's parts of our our valley that are very tight knit community. I think there's parts of our valley that suffer from what I call the garage door syndrome. I push the garage door button, drive in, they close the garage door, um, and that's as far as they go. I think part of it is um, we live in a 24 hour town, and so sometimes our neighbor works graveyards, and we work during the day. Um, it it really fluctuates, um, and so sometimes it we just it's easier to close our doors and and just deal with our own family and our own issues. And uh, the pandemic made it ten thousand times worse. Um, and we were, um, I work for an agency that helps senior citizens, and basically, you know, we were told don't go see your grandparents or you could kill them. Um, and so they just shut everything down and shut everything off and. And basically, our seniors locked themselves in their homes for 18 months. Yeah, that's beyond the isolation seniors really already feel. I mean, they, they are sort of the unseen population, you know, among young people and really almost every community, every city in, in the country. But it depends sometimes on the community you're in. But I wonder about this reduction then that's going to occur. Uh, if you're an older single person, that reduction is going to amount to $95. And the average is going to be in this country about $178 for a whole month worth of assistance. And you deal, like you said, with senior citizens and older people. I wonder how, what you think the impact is going to be. How do you see this affecting them? So um, actually, during the pandemic for senior citizens, their benef- the average benefit for a senior citizen was $19 a month. Oh my it gosh. went up to $241 a month. Um, for many seniors, that was more than they spent on groceries 
before they received that additional funding. In fact, we had a huge flock of seniors that went and applied for SNAP because of the increase. A lot of them wouldn't even apply before. They're like, "Why? what's the point? It's $19. Um, so they're going to go from $241 down to $24. That's way more than $95. Wow. Um, and the average income of our clients is $900 a month. So if you think if they're in subsidized housing or they own their home, their housing cost is about $500 a month. Um, if they have a car, um, then you've got to add card insurance and fuel on top of that. Uh, if they have medications, which 90% of our clients suffer from some type of chronic disease, um, then there's that. So really the very last thing our seniors are doing is buying food. Now you're taking $241 and taking it back down to $24 that you've literally taken their entire food budget away from them. Are you talking to them yet about this? Or do they know about this? They absolutely know about this. Um, in fact, I was talking to my um, pantry director yesterday, and we had 20 new seniors sign up for emergency food yesterday. That's 20, 20. in one day that signed up to get emergency groceries. Is this naive of me to think that in this country uh, there should be more than enough food to go around? I don't think it's naive of you to believe. I firmly believe that. I firmly believe that there are there is enough food in this country. We throw so much food. There's so much food waste in this country. There's not a person that lives in this country that should ever go hungry, ever, ever, ever. That is my 100% firm belief. I will say that till the day I die. There is not one person in this country that should ever, ever, ever go hungry. Um, well, you're going to have a really tough job. Are, are you expecting, I, I wonder how you're gearing up for this or how you're preparing for this. So fortunately for us, we've received funding from um, EFSP, which is the emergency federal program. Um, and so we have been preparing using funds from them to gear up for this onslaught. Uh, when the pandemic started, we were serving about a thousand seniors a month at our walk-in pantry with groceries. In one month, we went to 2000. I mean, it just doubled. And so that's really what we're expecting. And that's what we've been preparing for really for the last nine months as we've um, been able to increase our emergency program. Um, it was after the pandemic, it went way down. We were doing about 70 clients a month. Um, in the last nine months, we're now back up to 350. And we're pretty sure after April 1st that it's going to skyrocket. And, and I don't know the mindset, but I imagine are, are people expressing fear? Um, or, or are they... You know, I, I just remember my grandparents being like, well, you know, this is just the way it happens and mm -hmm. this is how it's, it's, it's going to go. Right. It, the, it depends on their generation. So mm -hmm. uh, we have two different generations that were, well, technically kind of three generations. We still have the greatest generation, which um, is our 90 plus clients. Um, they are very still very reluctant to ask for help. Um, they still look at it as, you know, you just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. They live through the depression. Um, and so in their minds, this is not as bad as the depression. Uh, then we have what we call the silent generation. Um, they don't say anything about anything, right? They'll come in, they'll get their box and, and they leave. Um, and then we have, we're starting to get some boomers and they're very vocal, <laughs> which is great. Um, they're willing to advocate for themselves. And, and that's what's going to make a big difference is their willingness to say, um, this doesn't work for me. We are talking uh, about food insecurity in Nevada. The United Way says we're the third most food insecure state in the country. It sounds like it's going to get a lot worse because uh, some uh, extra relief. 
that uh, came during the pandemic is, as of March 14th, is going to be eliminated. And that's going to mean, as you just heard Marsha Blake talk about, a huge decline in the ability for for seniors, for one, to, to buy food for themselves. Uh, they were, uh, before the pandemic, they would get $19 a month in assistance for food. It went up to 241 and now it's going to be back down to, what, about $24, $24. a month? Rachel in Summerlin, welcome to the program. Hi, thank you. Um, I am first want to say to Brooke, you're amazing. I've done work with you guys. I think you're great. And I wish there was more people out there like you. But um, part of my question is, how can we freely give away so much money and then not keep the people in our own country fed? It's kind of a far reach, but what do you think? Well, uh, let me... Uh, who wants to take that question? We have a, a large. Actually, I haven't introduced Professor Nicholas Barr yet. He's a UNLV social work professor and he's a researcher of homeless youth. Professor, welcome to the program. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for having me. The question basically was this: uh, You know, we give a lot of money to other countries. We assist them. Earlier, we were talking about, you know, do we actually have enough food in this country to feed anybody? Should, should feed everybody? Should anybody in this country go hungry? I want to start with that question. Yeah, well, without I mean, I think it's certainly a question people are asking and and without wading too far into the geopolitics, which I would be happy to do, but I think it's a little far afield. I would say that, you know, the reason we are not able to feed people who need assistance in the United States is not because of the money we spend abroad. It's because we are misallocating or not allocating sufficient resources here. I mean, you know, your other guests have spoken to the fact that this program, this this plus up of SNAP benefits, was extremely effective in reducing hunger. That that's a super effective program. Similarly, you know, over the course of the pandemic, um, the child tax credit drastically reduced child poverty. Well, what happened? Those benefits were phased out. So it's not as if you know because we're sending money to Ukraine, we can't uh, stop child poverty in the United States or provide sufficient food assistance. It's just that there hasn't been the political will to maintain those benefits despite ample evidence of their effectiveness. So, so how do people change that? Well, I think we really need to um, have a thorough understanding of this landscape, and we need to advocate um, to our elected representatives and let them know that there's nothing more important than taking care of the most vulnerable people in our society. And we absolutely have enough resources to do that. This is the wealthiest country on the face of the planet that's ever existed. We can send people to the moon. We can develop artificial intelligence. We absolutely can feed people and keep them sheltered and housed. It's really just a question of political will. Um, and, um, you know, I think probably some of your other guests can speak to that. But I, I just want to help people with a little bit of kind of math, if that's okay. So, you know, our our uh, minimum wage here in Nevada is seven fifty an hour, right, which is a, a poverty wage. Most people make more than that. Yeah. Let's say you make $15 an hour and you work 40 hours a week and you never get sick and you never take a vacation. You're earning about $30,000 a year. Okay. Well, average rent for an apartment in Southern Nevada is around $1,400, $1,500 a month. So you're going to spend about half of your income, never getting sick, never taking a vacation, on housing. Then you have all these other costs that are, are your other guests have spoken to. Car insurance, fuel, right? your utility bills, medical care, you know, all, all these other costs. Um, and then food. right? And we've seen food costs go up due to inflation. Uh, and now we're talking about people, the most vulnerable people who depend on assistance 
for their basic need, right, to just get enough food to eat, um, those people are going to lose that benefit. And it's going to have a profound effect on a range of social outcomes in the Valley. And I think just briefly, you know, we just spoke to the mental health outcomes um, of food insecurity. And, you know, just, just think about kids who are now going to be worried about where their next meal is going to come from. Well, we know from years and years of research that those kids are not going to be able to learn effectively in school. When you're hungry and stressed, you cannot learn effectively. When parents are hungry and stressed, they have less time to nurture their kids. It's not their fault. You know, they're stressed trying to figure out how they're going to feed their families. So you're going to have this cascade of mental health consequences that will filter out into a range of social outcomes. I mean, I think we really cannot overestimate how deleterious this is going to be um, for the social fabric of the valley. And when you're, when you're talking about social fabric, you're talking not just about education. We're talking of, about uh, criminal incidents, uh, you know, all, all kinds of impacts on society here. Sasha in Summerlin, welcome to the program. Hi, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Well, uh, go ahead. So I was listening to the conversation you were having, and I really admired the work. So the Just One Project has reached so many kids, and I don't know if the community really understands what an impact that they're having, and let me tell you why. Because, you know, my children have the ability and the blessing to grow up in a middle-class family, and they don't go to bed hungry. Um, And I think that they really didn't appreciate what a gift that is. And so last summer we put our kids into their camp, And for the first week, they were in shock and totally blown away. and just couldn't understand how these many people could go without food. They couldn't understand why kids were hungry. And at the end of that week, not only did they have a different appreciation for what they have in their life, but they were committed to then giving back on a deeper level. So if parents are out there listening, every child should get exposed to the Just One Project and the work that they're doing and check out their camp and just really embrace what they're doing because people don't understand how desperate the need is. That that kind of experience really can change somebody. I had a similar experience with my son who, uh, when he was in high school, went to a part of Mexico to build homes. And when he came back, he said he finally understood what I meant by saying he was privileged. And it it impacted him greatly. And if you can get, be part of one of those programs uh, to our listeners out there in, in, you want to do it, they are out there and they're they're available. And joining us now is Jessica from Las Vegas. Welcome to the program. Thank you very much. And the timing of this is very apropos. I just started subbing recently, um, both for charter schools and the district, and got to work on the lunch duty uh, last week. And was and these are meals that were given out by the school that I assume are subsidized um, through mm-hmm. the school. Um, was horrified by how many oranges or apples or string cheese or yogurt, I can keep going on and on, broccoli, carrots, um, were thrown away and never touched by the, by the kids. They ate like their little chicken sandwich and called it a day. And I, mean, I don't understand why we couldn't, and I understand some of that stuff requires refrigeration or someone else explained maybe because it's uh, government subsidized, um, you can't give it away somewhere else. But I just, it was trash cans full of fresh fruit, fresh vegetables, and edible dairy. That is that is a really good point. Uh, I mean, uh, I remember when I was in high school, if there was a, a carrot or celery on my plate, I would not eat it. But if there was pizza, yeah, I'd be all over it. Uh, what do you? But but the extra 
The extra food issue is really a question here in Vegas. It came to a head here maybe 15 years ago when some of the buffets here started f- flash freezing their food and giving it, I think, to, to Three Square. How, how big of a, a part of Three Square is that program, Regis? Yeah, thanks, Joe. Um, and that's uh, our partnerships in the community are absolutely they're essential. We cannot do the work that we do at Three Square without partnerships in the community. And so um, we had uh, MGM, uh, Sands Group, they've been fantastic with uh, that work, especially pre-pandemic. We're starting to see some of that come back now, now that the conventions are coming back in town. Um, So uh, one of the things, one of the solutions as we think about um, all the different ways that we could be tackling food insecurity. Uh, this idea of food rescue is absolutely key. And um, it's something that the uh, EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, has actually looked at. They have their food waste hierarchy about um, how food should be um, different ways to utilize food before it gets to a landfill. And uh, food rescue is a part of that. So uh, absolutely, uh, Jessica, I think to your point about uh, being able to find those opportunities to be able to get that food and be able to get it back into the community. Um, it's something that does... Um, need to happen in our schools. It's something that actually is, um, at least in one of the after-school programs that uh, Three Square operates, that is something that they can do. Um, It's a little bit um, complicated to manage, but it's something that's absolutely allowable. Um, But we also do work with our uh, food retailers here all throughout the city on uh, food rescue efforts to make sure that before that food gets to the landfill, as long as it's still good, healthy food, we're getting it back out into the community and getting it into the hands of those who need it. And it sounds like this kind of goes back to something Marsha said, Marsha Blake said earlier, that it's not that we don't have enough food. The, the process of getting that food into people's hands is the thing that hasn't been worked out in this country. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's something that uh, it, it's part of what um, Professor uh, Barr has said about uh, the political will. Um, Representative Jim McGovern uh, out in um, state of Massachusetts, he says basically that all the time, that hunger in this country is, is not a it's not a problem of having enough food. It's a problem of political will. And so um, it's not about necessarily just like government funding either, but about all the regulations that go into the way that we get food to people. Um, There's a lot of work that we can do on that end. Uh, Anonymous from North Las Vegas is a SNAP benefit user. Welcome to the program. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, go ahead. Um, My biggest concern is that this is actually the first time that this is that I'm being notified of my benefits being cut is right now on the radio. And I just reapplied in January. Why did no one tell me that this was going to come up so that I would have the opportunity to prepare for it, maybe even buying some more sustainable shelf life foods to prepare me to keep you. Do you understand what I'm saying? No one has no one advised us, or at least me. And thankfully, so I'm one person. But imagine all those families out there that it's just going to happen. And was there some kind of notification that went out that was missed by me or or was I just expected to know that uh, it's a great question uh, anybody here uh, yeah, it's, yeah uh, well, uh, Regis yeah there was a uh, I know a press release that was issued um, in early January by the Division of Welfare and Supportive Services I'm not sure how far that message went um, not um, to everybody that needed it it seems and so um, I mean I'm just mm. My jaw is just dropping over here just to let you know. I mean, like that you're, that this is uh, something that anyone that is utilizing SNAP right now is unaware of. Um, yeah. Yeah, just, yeah. And Anonymous in North Las Vegas, uh, w- when you hear about this reduction, um, I, I wonder how you, you know, can, can you talk about what you, I don't know, it's a hard question for me to ask. How is it going to impact you? Oh, my gosh. How is it going to impact me? I mean, right now I'm... 
I mean, I'm not working, so the only funds that I have coming in, actually, because I am a single person, I don't get anything from the government except for SNAP. So that is my bread and butter, you know what I mean? Like, that's literally my bread and butter. So not knowing exactly because you said seniors, I'm not technically a senior, but I am of an older age, like to go down to 20 something dollars, what am I going to buy? What, how am I, I mean, it's, it's so shocking to hear this on the radio. Like I'm almost like, Oh my God, like, I don't even know what to do. I feel almost like at a point of desperation now. And, um, speaking of anxiety, Oh my, as someone who is suffering from PTSD and anxiety, I'm going to get off the phone with you right now and Google the mess out of what do I do now? Because, yeah, what do I do? I mean, what do I do? It's so sad. It's so well, sad. And I'm one person. Well, hold on a second. Uh, Brooke Neubauer, you wanted to uh, Hi there. Um, thank you so much for sharing your story. I know that that's not easy. Um, and I would like to invite you to uh, email the Just One Project, um, info at thejustoneproject.org. Um, and we would love to get you in. We would love, we have a no-cost community market that you are welcome to come shop at, but more importantly, uh, we can connect you to a case manager who can just simply help you with uh, with whatever that it is that you need. Um, so that's a good start. So today you have a plan. Could, could you say that email one more time? Uh, info at the just one project.org. However, if you can give your phone number to the producers, they will give it to me and I will have one of our case managers contact you directly as soon as we are done on the show. All right. And we'll, we'll do that. We'll get your number and, um, and we'll give it to uh, Brooke and, and hopefully something can be done here. Thank you so much for that call. Joey, from Las Vegas. Welcome to the program. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, I currently am not a SNAP benefit user, but about 10 or 15 years ago when the the first recession happened, um, I was a child in middle school, high school, and my mom was a SNAP benefit user. Um, And once those benefits got taken away, once she passed the, the threshold and she made too much in income, I just remember how drastic of a change that was and going from having a, a fridge full of groceries and cabinet full of snacks and food to really just struggling on a daily basis to get food and knowing where my next meal would be coming from. So right now, I just don't, I can't even imagine how it is for those who will have that reduction in benefits because even though we are post pandemic, I just think that it's worse, you know, where people still have job insecurity, people still cannot afford to live in Nevada. So I just I just don't know why and how this this would be reduced. I don't know why SNAP benefits would be reduced at this time. Yeah, that, that's a great point. Thank you so much for that call, Joey. Uh, uh, Professor Nichols Barr, is this a are decisions over something like SNAP made differently depending on what political po- political party is in, in charge? Oh, Joe, you're going to get me in trouble here. <laughs> That's uh, okay. <clears throat> well, well, you're, you're fine. Are you tired? <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, getting close. So, well, I mean, I think um, 
you can just look at uh, national budgets, at, at proposed national budgets from different administrations, and examining those budgets will allow you to see what the budget priorities are. Okay, just just for example, the last administration passed huge unfunded tax cuts that we know disproportionately benefited very wealthy Americans. Okay, um, but we haven't been able to extend um, the child tax credit, which we know reduced poverty. This current administration hasn't been able to do that. Okay, So yes, I think it's clear that different political parties have different priorities and perhaps more generously different philosophies about how to most effectively spend money. But the evidence is very clear that uh, cutting taxes for wealthy people in no way, shape, or form um, makes people less food insecure or uh, helps raise people out of poverty. Okay, that, That's not an effective strategy for doing that. What is an effective strategy is giving people who are food insecure access to food and uh, putting more money into the pockets of people who are low-income workers um, and who are in poverty or at risk of falling into poverty. Direct funds, direct benefits are extremely effective. They're very cost-effective, too. I think Regis was um, pointing out earlier that you know that $40 million a month um, in, in um, extra SNAP benefits went directly into the community. I mean, it's not as if people are putting their SNAP benefits in the bank. They're spending that money every month. It's going directly into the community. It's an extremely efficient and effective policy. And I, I think I just have to emphasize that, and I think your other guests have said this as well, that poverty, food insecurity, homelessness, it's not as, these are complex problems, don't get me wrong, but they're the result of policy choices. It's not because you know, somehow people just can't get it together and can't get out of poverty or can't find somewhere to live or can't get enough food or don't want to. That's simply not the case. These are the results of policy choices and better policy choices can solve these problems. Yeah, Marsha Blake, you wanted to add to this. So um, kind of back to the direct benefit side, um, the majority of the clients that we see that are older adults or senior citizens um, have major chronic disease issues. So when you give them $200 to go spend at the grocery store, they're buying food that works for their diet, right? Yeah. When they go to a food bank, while they're still maybe may self-choice, they only can choose what's at the food bank. Mm -hmm. And so if, if they are diabetic or have heart disease or have kidney failure, all of these different things require different types of nutrition and diet that us as food providers, we don't have access to all of the food. We're not a grocery store. We don't we can't fund all of the things that we would love to fund. And so when you just give it directly to the person, then they're able to make those choices that fit their lifestyle and their culture. Um, we have culture is a huge issue when it comes to a food bank. If you have we have so many beautiful cultures in this valley. But most food banks have, you know, green beans and pasta and, um, you know, canned soups. Um, most other cultures don't eat processed food like that. They are so used to walking down the street and buying fresh fruits and vegetables, and that's what they're, they eat. And so being able to provide foods for all the different cultures, it's just so hard to do. So when you give it directly to them, they have that choice to go buy the food. Um, even to back to your caller that talked about the school lunchroom, um, I do know some schools have a table where the kids can put the food they don't 
eat. Mm -hmm. Um, And then other kids, if they're still hungry, can go pull that. But think of what that emotional stress and trauma is for that child. It's like everyone's watching me go take that extra food off of that table. So, you know, we have so many restrictions in, in government that say the kids have to have this and they have to have this and they have to have this. But if they're not eating it at home, they're most likely not going to eat it at school. And so if you allowed the children to just choose up front what they wanted, you would see a ton of less food waste that way as well. And same thing with food pantries. We we go and people are like, I can't eat this. I can't eat this. I can't eat this. And, you know, we're like, we'll try to give it to a neighbor. Well, I don't want my neighbor to know that I, you know, mm-hmm. that I'm getting help, things like that. It's, yeah. it's all that dignity. It's providing those services with dignity. It's allowing our kids to have dignity in their choice. It's allowing seniors to have dignity in their choice. It's allowing families to have dignity in their choice. Um, and we're dictating what that is. And, and that's not the country that we live in. Uh, Brooke Neubauer. Yeah. <clears throat> Sorry, guys. I would just like to chime in with what you said, Marsha. You make such a valid point with shelf-stable items. Those are so readily available. And I know that a focus for the Just One Project is our produce departments. We spend a lot of money keeping them stocked with colorful items. We host monthly farmers markets that are free to the community with an abundance of fresh fruits and vegetables. But What I think is that I hope that every listener here that is able to give back can look up Helping Hands, Three Square, the Just One Project, and really let this light a fire to support our agency so that we can continue buying food, the foods that are really important for people, the the foods that diabetic people can actually um, eat the the types of, you know, um, food items that are not just shelf stable. So I think that it's just a collective issue to where everybody, this is all creating awareness and this is what's available for people. And we have got to put more funds into buying food. That is the same items that you're going to buy at the store, that you're going to buy at the store. These are the things that people need to have access to. Yeah, Marsha Blake, I, I bet you have this conversation <clears throat> with some of the people that you help. Um, or maybe you ask them, or, or maybe they tell, I just wonder how they keep from losing hope. I think so many of them have been through so many more things than we have. Um, for us, a lot of us at this table, the pandemic was really our first big thing that we went through, Right. Um, so many of our clients have been through World War II, uh, the Korean War, Vietnam. Um, all of they've they've watched the ebb and flow of our country, and um, they've survived. They, they survived all of those things, and so uh, they're they're just survivors. And so many of our clients just come in and they say, you know, praise God for you. Um, they they have such a strong faith and belief in God. And that's who they look to. That's their their guide, um, and that's where they get their hope from. Is is a lot of them through their faith, um, and and through lived experience. Um, it's so amazing to sit down and talk to our clients and learn about them, the things that they've been through, the things that they've done in their lives. Um, one of the things that I love about my job is that opportunity and. Um, so many times in our culture, we um, we don't like old. Um, we are a culture of youth. Our country loves youth. 
We love, we, we spend billions and billions of dollars every single year trying to look younger, be younger, um, and we don't embrace aging the way so many other cultures do, um, where they revere their elders, where they listen to them, where they take care of them, they're a part of their heritage. Um, for us, we don't, we want to go put, go put them in an assisted living facility and, and pretend they don't exist anymore. And so that is where I see um, a huge issue. And, and part of that community is that we're not taking care of those that came before us um, in the same way that other cultures do, but even in ways that our culture used to do, because we are so afraid of getting old. We're so we're in such fear of looking old or being old or sounding old. Um, I'm so tired of the, you know, hey, boomer, you know, boomers are just, you know, terrible people because they don't get it. Um, well, they get a lot more than you do. They've lived a lot longer than you have. You know, guess what? I survived. I didn't, I didn't have a phone in my hand. I was born in the 70s. I was raised in the 70s. I went outside and played, I played in the dirt. I played at a park. I fell down. I skinned my knee. I broke my arm. I did all those things. Um, and and I survived um, and, and here to tell the story, right? We didn't have car seats. We didn't have all these things that now we say we have to have to protect ours. Well, that's all the time we have right now. Um, I really want to thank my guests, Brooke Neubauer, The Just One Project, Professor Nicholas Barr, UNLV's social work professor, researcher of homeless youth, Marsha Blake, Helping Hands of Vegas Valley, and Regis Whaley of Three Square Food Bank. And thanks so much to those who wrote or called in. Uh, I could get to all of your emails and some of your calls, but thank you. You really made the show.